Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. We are going to um, jump in where we left off last week. We're in a series called um, Understanding Prayer, Understanding God. And um, we started speaking about <clears throat> 10 reasons why God does not answer prayer. Um, the title of this message is Unanswered Prayer, Part 2. We did the first five last week. Um, so let me just do a quick recap. We covered the first five reasons last week, and God willing, we're, we're going to complete the next five this week. Number one was sinful lifestyle, sinful practices, right? Why God does not answer prayer. Ten reasons. Number one was sinful lifestyle, sinful practices. Number two was a sinful heart, a heart full of sin, sinful thoughts. Number three was selfish motives. Number four was not asking in faith. Number five was not God's will. So we can, we can do all these things. We're not practicing sin. Um, sin is not, we don't practice sin. It's not in our heart. We have no selfish motives. We're asking in faith. But if it's not God's will, then it's not his will. Uh, and it will not happen. And today we pick up with number six. And today we're going to jump right in with that. And number six, um, I'm going to tell you before we actually read the verse for this one. Number six is actually unbelief. Um, point number four last week of unanswered prayer was not asking in faith. In other words, God wants you to present your petitions before him in faith. And faith and um, unbelief, similar, but, but different. Right? So... Um, Faith is more than the absence of unbelief. It's more than just the absence of unbelief. Unbelief is more of a mindset. It's a way of thinking. And faith is confident expectation. And faith always produces action. So point number six is faith, is unbelief, excuse me, which is similar to point number four. So Matthew 7, 14 through 21, let's jump right in. Matthew 17, 14 through 21. Unbelief. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. I'm sure, I'm sure many of you have read this text before, um, and it's, in, it's a very interesting text. Two ways that you can look 
uh, this passage that we just read, right? Everything you do must be done in faith with believing. But also add to your faith and belief, add to that prayer and fasting as well for certain, for certain types of demons to be cast out and removed, right? So you must add to your, your faith, you must add to it fasting and prayer for certain specific types of demons to be cast out and removed. That's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is this. When Jesus says this kind goes out only by prayer and fasting, he's not referring to specifically um, the spirit, the actual demon, because he said it didn't come out because of your unbelief. So he's not referring to the spirit only comes out through prayer and fasting, but actually referring to their unbelief. So this kind, meaning this kind of unbelief, only comes out by prayer and fasting. And again, if you meditate upon the text, um, you'll see that it's, that it's kind of it's tricky. So it could be interpret, interpreted both ways, right? Where Jesus is speaking about the kind of unbelief and not specifically the spirit, because he said it only comes out through... Um, through unbelief at first. So, so is, it, is it only unbelief? Or is it unbelief plus prayer and fasting? Is it faith plus prayer and fasting? Which one is it? Do you guys get that? Yeah? So there's two ways that, that this text can be interpreted. So now, the disciples, we know they could not cast out the demon. That's, that's the point, right? They, they couldn't cast it out. And I, I could see how this man could have easily concluded what God's will was. Right? He came to the disciples or he came to, let's say, the church. And his child had this issue, had this problem. And it was presented before the church, before the disciples. And they, they could not cast the demon out. Now, if Jesus didn't show up and this man went home... What would his, his conclusion be about God's will concerning his child, his son? I wonder. It's probably not God's will for, for my child to be delivered and set free. But Jesus did show up. And when Jesus showed up, he set this boy completely free. So, not just because your petitions and your requests are not answered sometimes immediately, that does not necessarily mean that it's not God's will. We also see in Daniel chapter 10, when Daniel's prayer went to the Lord, and there was some spiritual warfare going on, and it took 21 days for that prayer to, to be answered and for it to break through. And God willing, maybe we'll speak about spiritual warfare next week. But God's, God's will... Sometimes um, we, have to, we have to wait. We have to wait, we have to pause to figure out exactly what it is. But again, I can see how this man could have easily concluded because he went to the disciples and they're trying. These are, these are God's disciples, Jesus' disciples, his, his 12 disciples. They're there, they've been walking with Jesus. These are the people of faith on the earth. But they could not cast out the demon. 
but Jesus cast out. It was God's will for this boy to be delivered and set free. So Jesus, we, we see in the scriptures, he only marveled twice in the scriptures. Jesus only marveled twice in the scriptures. One is in Matthew 8.10 and Luke 7.9. Matthew 8.10, when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And Luke 7.9, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And he was referring to the centurion who, who came to Jesus or he sent someone to Jesus and his, his servant was sick at home. And Jesus said, okay, I will, I will come to your house and I will lay hands, speak the word and he'll be healed. And the messenger said, don't even bother yourself. He said, you are a man of authority and of faith and I believe that you can just speak the word and my servant at home can be completely healed. The Bible says, Jesus, he, huh, he marveled. He marveled. Selah. He marveled and he says, I have not seen such great faith, not even in all of Israel. And this, by the way, was a Gentile. So that was the first time that Jesus marveled. And the other time was in his hometown. Mark 6 and verse 6, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Jesus is going around and he's doing miracles everywhere he goes. And the people are receiving him and people are speaking highly of him. And then finally Jesus comes home to his hometown. And the people, they see him and they recognize him and they say, isn't that Mary's boy? Don't we know his brothers and sisters? Basically, who does he think he is with all this power and authority? Who is he? And the Bible says that he did not do any mighty works there because of their unbelief. And Mark 6, 6, he, he actually marveled again. He marveled at their unbelief. So, he marveled twice in the recorded Gospels, once because of great faith and the other because of great unbelief. Because you have faith today does not mean that you will have faith tomorrow. That's why we're, we're continually working on our faith and building our faith continually and daily. The disciples did, did many great things. But in this situation, they were, they were struggling for whatever reason. Maybe because fasting and prayer was needed for that specific demon to come out. Or maybe it was their, their unbelief that was the, the major issue. And fasting and prayer would fix their unbelief there. So, number six, your prayers are unanswered because of unbelief and again he, he marvels and I think, I think today Jesus would marvel at the unbelief of because we've seen, we've seen so much 
he, he marveled at the unbelief in his, in his hometown. They had, they had seen many things, they had heard many things, but yet they didn't believe that he could. And he was like, huh, that, that's, that's interesting. Because you guys have you've, you've seen and you've heard, but yet you still don't believe. Well, think of how much we've seen. Seen and, and heard and testimonies of faith. And that's why, you know, Abraham is so um, great to me, the father of our faith, because who was his example of faith? Right? He, he heard God's voice and he just went out in faith and obedience. But we have, we have hundreds of thousands of, of examples of faith, of people that have gone before us and God has been faithful to them. Right? So, so I wonder today how much Jesus marvels at our unbelief. We have the, the word, we have the fullness of the word, we have the, his counsel, we have his spirit, we have the, the body, the church, testimony, we have so much before us, but yet some of us, we still, we don't believe. So, your prayers are unanswered because of unbelief, which is a, a mindset. Number seven. Proverbs 28 and verse 9. Proverbs 28 and verse 9. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law. Even his prayer is an abomination. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. God is one with his word, and it is impossible for you to honor him without honoring his word. What God says and what God does and who God is is perfectly integrated together. And number seven is disregard for God's word. Disregard for his word. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, from hearing his word, even his prayer is an abomination unto him. So you must honor God's word. You must honor it as, as truth. You must accept it as it is. And if you disregard his word, if you dishonor his word, then the Bible says that even, even your prayers are an abomination unto him. You don't hear the word. You don't regard it. You don't honor it. You don't respect it. But then you're going to Pray to me. Me and my word, my word and I are one, he says. And you cannot disregard my law and my word and then come to me and expect your prayers to be answered. So number seven is disregard for God's word. Number eight, Isaiah 58 Verses 1 through 
14, Isaiah 58, 1 through 14. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? And this, by the way, is, um, is a great passage on, on fasting. When you fast, uh, a great, um, great insight. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fists of wickedness. You will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast? And an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here am I. If you take away the yoke, from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and you call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. There was a lot in there. 
But you can go back and you can read that passage. But one of the things that it speaks about in that, pack, in that passage clearly and over and over again is the poor and the oppressed. Proverbs 21 and verse 13. Proverbs 21 and verse 13. He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. Number eight is disregard for the poor and the oppressed. And Psalm 58, 1 through 14, had a lot to say about that. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 15, 15 through 17. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. It's very clear. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. This is what he's saying. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, man, you're praying, and you're praying, and you're praying, and your hands are out, and you're praying, and you're praying, and you're praying. He says, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Verse 17. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. It's a powerful text right here. He says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I'm going to hide my eyes from you. I'm not even going to listen to you. Number eight is, is timely right now. And we, we cannot turn a blind eye to injustice in our country. The scriptures forbid us to, we are commanded, it says right here, to seek justice. We're commanded to seek justice. And the earliest stage of seeking justice begins with speaking about it. There's more than that, but that's the earliest stage of it, is speaking about it. You cannot seek justice while remaining silent. And we're looking at Isaiah 
1, 15, and now we're looking at uh, verse 17. Learn to do good, seek justice. Next one says, rebuke the oppressor. Rebuke the oppressor. Whoever that is. Whoever the oppressor is. In our context, whether that is a person, whether that is a police officer, whether that is a policy, whether that is a politician, whether that is a signed bill, whether that is a mindset, whether that is a system, whatever the oppressor is in our context, whatever it is, rebuke the oppressor is what the Bible says. Defend the fatherless. Defend the fatherless. And that would be not just the orphan, but the one whose father is alive yet absent. The fatherless. I was looking up the, the stats, and many of you guys probably already know this, and it's, and it's sad. Well, the African-American population has the highest rate of single-parent households. The, the highest rate in the country. And absentee fathers are around 67% of all households in this country. 67%, somewhere around there. Followed by around 53% for American Indians and 40% for Hispanic and Latino homes. And on the contrast, and this is a blessing, about 74% of all white males under the age of 18 come from a two-parent household. 74%. I rejoice with that. And that's even, that's even in the world, right? But 70, 74%, and that's, that's a good thing. But 67% of the African-American population are fatherless. I started a, um, a mentoring program at the Juvenile Detention Center in Fairfax County in 2012. I basically just, just called them. No, in 20, 2014, I think it was. I called them and I said, is there a mentoring program for, for your youth here? Um, and left a message and they called me back and said, no, we have nothing. So I went in and I, um, I spoke with um, they have a school inside of the facility, so I spoke with the principal and shared my vision there. Um, and he said, excellent, like, come on board and, and um, we'd love to have you here. So I went through a process with the county um, and then I was going in there weekly and, and mentoring the young men there. Um, but 95, 95, yeah, 95% of the, of the men that I mentored one-on-one, -on -one, no fathers, single-parent households. No dads in their life. No, no positive role model in their life. 95% of them. That was the common thread through. And that was 2014 till, till 2019. I was doing that. So the scriptures speak about the fatherless and it's very specific. And Satan's desire is to diminish the role, I believe, also of, of the father. 
within the home. Because he knows that will have long-term, maybe even eternal consequences. What do I mean when I say that? I'm going to give you this uh, statistic that I, I heard many years ago and, and it always stuck with me. And I don't remember the, the source because it was so long ago, but it said this. The most common form is if a child is the first person in the family to accept Christ. Listen to this. And again, I don't know how, how accurate the numbers are, but it, but it hit me and I'm sharing with you. If a child is the first person in the family to accept Christ and join the church, the rest of the family will do the same only 3.5% of the time. If the mother is the first, that percentage goes up to 17%. But if the father is the first to accept Christ and join the church, the rest of his family will follow 93% of the time. Are you listening? Now, I read that like five years ago, but Billy Graham said this in the, in the 80s. He said, within the home, if a child comes to faith first, there's a 25% chance. If a woman comes to faith first, there's a 40% plus chance. And if a man comes, there's a 60% chance. He said that in like 1987 or something. Um, Either way, I think you, you hear the point. Right? Regardless of the exact numbers, when, when a man leads his home, when a man takes his position as, as father, there can even be eternal rewards. So the, the enemy has, has a plan to destroy the roles of men within the home. And I would encourage us not to follow in our society's lead uh, in, in destroying the biblical home and diminishing the power and role of the father within that home because society today has, has diminished that. The role and the importance of, of the male within the home. So let's not follow those, those trends that the world would establish for us. And finally, plead for the widow. And I think the church has, has often neglected this command and this responsibility. And I believe that we have to get, get back to this caring for the widow as the Bible commands us to. So again, Isaiah 1, 15 through 17. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you, even though you make many prayers. I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Part of that, that blood too could be, you know, there's so many things that we could put in there, but, but the unborn. Man, we, man we, 
we're proud, man. We're, we're proud of how many, how many babies we, we, we murder each and every single year. There's almost a pride in that. Well, there, there's, there's blood. Blood on our hands. Verse 16, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Verse 17, learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. And that is number eight. So number eight is your prayers are unanswered because of your disregard for the poor and oppressed. Number nine. Number nine, I, I'm not a great fan of this one. Number nine, First Peter 3, 7. Let's read it. First Peter 3, 7. Very specific. Husbands. Husbands, husbands, husbands. Likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Are you listening? This one's not fun, huh? This one's not fun. Right, for all you married folks. All right? Dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Man, I wish that weren't there. I was, I was enjoying all these points and, until I got to point number nine. I was like, man, work, accountability. But it's good. It's good, it's good, it's good. So my, my charge to you, married man, and I'm, I was kind of joking a little bit, but, but it's very serious. Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together. And the Bible literally says that your prayers could be hindered because of the way that you treat your spouse. Say love. God says, I won't hear you. And that's, that's hit me. That's hit me a few times in my marriage. Where I've thought about, well, that scripture's come to me. And it's like, man. So God says, I will not hear you. Your, your prayers will be hindered by the way that you respond to and by the way that you treat your spouse. And I'm pausing because, because I want that to, to hit you because all of the, the husbands that I've seen here, we've all been, been married for, for a while. And when you've been married for a while, sometimes you can forget this, right? And you get comfortable. Tar, 
So, that's number nine. Your prayers are unanswered because of an, an unhealthy response to your wife. And I think that could, that could probably go for, for both husband and wife, but, but it specifically speaks to husbands, so I'm directing it at husbands um, about their wives. And finally, number 10, Mark 11, 25 and 26. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So, number 10 is unforgiveness. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Unforgiveness can be a hindrance to your prayers being answered. Unforgiveness. We're, we're speaking to, to the God of the God who loves, the God who, who forgives, but we're holding hatred or murder in our hearts against our brother or sister. But then we're speaking with God, and the Bible speaks about, right, how can you, right, how can you speak with him? How can you know him but hate, hate your brother? You haven't seen him. You haven't seen God, right? But you can love him somehow, but you hate your brother. How is that so? So you must, when you stand praying and you're asking the Lord, make sure that there's no unforgiveness in your heart. Amen? Amen? Amen. So I spent more time on some than others, but I think, they're, I think they speak for themselves. So number 10, unforgiveness. So we went through 10 reasons, biblical reasons. These didn't come from my mind, out of my head. I showed you scripturally what the Bible has to say about unanswered prayer. And the Bible has a lot to say about it. So, take note, receive that, and I pray that you would make adjustments where adjustments are needed in your heart and in your life because God delights in answering our prayers. He delights in that. He takes pleasure in that. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up, please. Bow your heads, please. I want you to think for a moment about what you heard today and how the Word spoke to you, how it ministered to you. And again, whenever you hear the word, it's not for the sake of just hearing, of just listening, or of just judging or critiquing, but it's for the sake of, of change. It's for the sake of, man, what can I do? What can I do with the word that I heard? What adjustments do I need to make concerning the word that I heard? So, so ask yourself that question right now 
what spoke to me, what ministered to me, what adjustments are the, is the Holy Spirit asking me to, to make in my life? And think about that for a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the series that we're in on prayer, understanding prayer, understanding God. And Lord, we don't want our prayers to be hindered. And Lord, we've seen uh, several things in the scriptures that cause you to, to just not even, not even listen to our prayers if we're involved in, in certain things or have certain attitudes or are mistreating certain people. Lord, I pray that we would draw closer to you, that we would draw near to you. As your word says, as we draw close to you, you will draw near to us. So Lord, we want nothing to, to hinder our connection with you in prayer. We want nothing to do that. So we want to remove everything, every, every obstacle in our way that interrupts our fellowship with you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he came. That he came for us. Thank you that, that you saw the need of the world. You saw the need that mankind had and you sent Jesus. An answer to our prayers before we ever prayed. Before we ever prayed, he was the answer to our prayers. And we were dead in our trespasses and sin and we could not help ourselves. But you sent him. And he came to earth and he walked the earth as a man and he lived a perfect life and he showed us what it is to live and walk victoriously in obedience to the Father. And every man that died before him died and stayed in the grave, but he died and rose again because death had no power over him. And thank you that on the cross you took all of our sins and our iniquities, our trespasses, past, present, and future, and, and they were nailed to the cross with you. That you took on the sin of the entire world and you paid the price for it so that we wouldn't have to. So Lord, we accept your payment, your sacrifice for us on our behalf. And we thank you that just as you rose, as we trust and believe and have faith in you, we too will rise again. Death has no power over us who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the answer again, the perfect answer to the prayers that we never even petitioned of God. We thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that you were crucified before the foundation of the world. Before we ever sinned, it was 
the plan of God, that you would go to the cross and pay the price for our sins, and we thank you for that. Lord, we love you and we bless you, and we thank you for our time together in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.